and welcome to the Please See Attach podcast, where we delve into everything digital marketing and discuss the strange, wonderful, and sometimes dangerous ways in which the internet has been shaping our lives. I'm Steve Gould, and I host this podcast along with my colleagues Daphna Ben-Yehoshua, Jensen Lee, Matt Plouffe, and Sean Rosenthal. In today's episode, we talk about inclusion and diversity in the marketing industry. In our recent episode about marketing trends for 2021, we talked about how brands are expected to put their words into action when they address social issues. When we're talking about the marketing and advertising industry, this doesn't only apply to showing diversity in ads or offering products and services that reflect the needs of different groups. Because for these things to happen, diversity and inclusion need to be happening inside the organization. So today, Matt will be interviewing Danica Nelson, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Shopify and Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Board Member for Strategy Magazine. They will be talking about the challenges faced by Black, Indigenous, people of color in the marketing industry and what companies can do to promote diversity and inclusion within the organization. But at first, I'm going to throw this question out to you guys, get things rolling. We live and work in Toronto, which is famously the most multicultural city in the world. I mean, I've been hearing that for years. I remember as a kid, it was even a thing. We have over 50% of our population as visible minorities. And yet the research indicates that BIPOC talent is underrepresented in marketing and media, especially in senior and management roles. So I'm going to put this out to everybody in the group. Have you noticed this while working in the industry? Daphna, you want to give us a shout out to start? Sure. I've actually only been working in the marketing industry since I joined Onboard. And before that, uh, when I arrived to Toronto, I had a part-time job at a market research firm. So not exactly the same. But even there, it seemed like the makeup of the company was not really reflective of the the population of Toronto or Canada in general. For me, I mean, I've been in a lot of different industries, always with a finger in the world of marketing and, and sales and And uh, I guess it depends on the size of the company. I mean, I find in smaller companies that no, it has not been represented very well. But in the larger companies that I worked for, I felt that there was more diversity and I don't I never got the feeling that it was necessarily something that was really worked towards, but that people were just hiring the best person for the role. And as more and more BIPOC people were coming into the industry, obviously more and more would show up in in senior roles because of their experience growing. But I think at least you know, those same uh, proportions should be giving the opportunities to enter the industry or any other industry. And that still might not be happening today. As somebody who's hired people for, for many years, I've even noticed now when looking at other people hiring in ads for jobs and doing a little bit of market research that way that especially the larger companies are putting out kind of standard lines saying all applicants are welcome, people BIPOC. I've not seen that term used per se, but I've seen, you know, indigenous people of color equal opportunity is a big catchphrase that was out there for a while. And I got the feeling honestly longer ago than more recently that that was put out there because they felt they had to, not necessarily that they were going to follow those guidelines. But I think with internet and the access to information and the ability for more voices to be heard, that it is becoming as it should something that is a of much greater importance in the workplace and in the hiring practices. Matt, what about you? 
I've worked at a couple of agencies and in different industries within marketing and digital advertising. And I think within the agency world, it has not been represented appropriately. I've been working at two different digital marketing agencies, specifically in one media company as well. And in all three, there was definitely an underrepresentation based on the statistics of Toronto's uh, diversity. So looking at those comparisons, absolutely underrepresented. But at the same time, I've definitely seen, I guess, my current industry sort of looking at evolving those processes and looking at different outlets for hiring than the traditional ones. And that's where you sort of find opportunities to expand on those hiring practices. Yeah, I would probably echo your sentiments as well. So I do see that there is a change, but I also do see that there is room to grow and other things to consider uh, when hiring. Yeah, and I, you know, just a last point here to you guys, and then we'll move on to our interview. Do you think because the marketing industry or the agency industry as a whole was so led by white males until very recently, look at like uh, Mad Men as a great example of a, of a series that really showed that, that it was harder to change that and, and move on from that? Yeah, I think for sure, as we see in like any industry. And, you know, I think most industries probably were controlled by white males until recently. And that definitely plays a part in makeup of the people in the companies we still see today, although it's been changing. But obviously, as we said, there is a lot of room to grow. Yeah. Listen, there's no doubt I'm I'm a privileged white man. And I, I living in the States, I experience white privilege many times over, especially you know, in Detroit. And, you know, so yeah, but it was it was always hard for you, Sean, being a redhead. The gingers well, have being, their own. Special I'm not really kind of, any. I haven't been a ginger for about 25 years. So my hair is gray now. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but the gingers in you. No doubt. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> always a ginger forever. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. I think another thing in the marketing industry and in business in general, you know, the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, you know, when a lot of people in the industry are, you know, white males, a lot of times they associate with other white males. And that sort of link or that connection is more white males and or it's at least white people. So it becomes one of those things where, you know, uh, a lot of my career is based off who I know opposed to what I know. And it's it's one of those things where it's, yeah, I get those references from realistically other white males. So it's it's opening up those hiring opportunities will just allow you to be introduced to more uh, people and more diverse people as yeah. well. I mean, it's, it's hard because there's a there's a whole level of systemic racism. Yeah, I mean, the expectation is that in the hiring process, you make sure that the process is shaped that way, that, you know, people from all groups apply. Absolutely. So I think that uh, we all have the right attitude and, and hopefully as a population, as a even, you know, we could go down to as a city, as a province, as a country, we will see the change in a much more meaningful way. And now I'm going to hand it off to Matt and Danica after this short message. We've all been spending more time in front of our computers and smartphones. Give your eyes a rest with blue light glasses, bespoke blue filter glasses at bluelightglasses.shop. That's blue, B-L-U. Did you know the average person spends over 10 hours a day looking at digital screens? Blue light glasses filter out the blue light emitted from electronic devices. This helps with preventing digital eye strain and sleep issues. 
For a limited time, get free shipping and 50% off all glasses and get an extra 20% off using the promo code PSA. Get your glasses now at bluelightglasses.shop. That's blue. B-L-U. Hi, Danica. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Danica, before we get into our questions a little bit, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for our listeners. Absolutely. So in my main slash day role, I am a senior product marketing manager at Shopify. Uh, I work on the fintech side of the business. So we're working on a cool, exciting product that's kind of helping our merchants bring their businesses to make it more like easy and efficient to manage them. So that is my day job. And then I'm also an industry liaison at Humber College, which essentially means I put together workshops and mentor students to help them be successful in the advertising, marketing and communications industry. That's very cool. Um, I went to Humber College myself and did the marketing program there. Uh, I loved it. And I've also uh, contributed to um, just giving some guidance to what could be better taught within some of the courses to prepare individuals for the workplace. So I love that, that you do that. That's very, very cool. Um, I love giving back to the the students and trying to help people project their careers better. Um, But to get into this, so can you tell us a little bit about what product marketing is and what you do as a product manager at Shopify? Yeah, for sure. So I think a lot of people have different definitions for product marketing, but I see it as, you know, bringing a product to market. And that means everything from crafting the positioning, the messaging, the narrative, all those things that go together and really bringing a product to life Um, to, of course, we want to drive demand to drive usage and drive overall growth of the product. And for me specifically at Shopify, I work on the fintech side of the business. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'm focusing on really helping merchants better manage their business finances and make it more easy and efficient. Very cool. And fintech, that is just for any listeners who might not know. Yes, of course. That is an acronym for, for, I guess, a short form for for financial tech. And I'm actually like the biggest enemy of acronyms. So I'm glad that you asked me that. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. I I figured that's what it was. I didn't know myself for sure. But uh, I just wanted to clarify that for any listeners and myself. Um, So throughout your career, you've definitely focused a lot on promoting diversity and inclusion in the workplace, specifically in marketing and communication in the advertising industry. Can you tell us about the challenges and inequities Black, Indigenous, and people of color face in the industry? For sure. So I can highlight some of the main ones that I've seen. I think number one is absolutely a lack of representation of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the industry. Um, I actually have a stat in front of me. Uh, According to a poll of ICA member agencies, 74% of staff at agencies in Toronto are white, despite representing 48% of the city's population. And I've seen that very evidently throughout my career in the marketing communications industry. So a lack of representation is definitely a huge issue. Uh, I would also say barrier to entry. A lot of agencies and even client side, they really focus on cultural fit or you know, having candidates align with traditional ideas of professionalism, which can absolutely be problematic due to unconscious bias or even conscious biases. And then I would say probably the third thing is the pay gap. Black, Indigenous people of color are just traditionally paid less than their white peers. And I have another stat in front of me here, came prepared. Uh, according to the Conference Board of Canada, 
university educated black people earn around 80 cents for every dollar that their white peers do um, compared to 87 cents for all visible minorities. So, you know, that pay gap obviously is a huge issue and it's a huge inequity that absolutely needs to be fixed within the industry. Awesome. This is a little off the cuff and more for, for my interest. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a white male. I am that demographic, that statistic. And what can people like me who have worked in this industry for a long time do to ensure that these changes are happening and that we are um, recognizing these these things, but also in a position where, you know, I'm not a decision maker within my company, but what can I do to help influence those things and can help build that awareness within my own companies? Yeah, I think it's really important to play the role of an ally. And, you know, even if you're not in a role where you can make decisions or you're maybe not at like the leadership table, you know, calling out things that you see are inequitable or inappropriate or, you know, are a barrier for Black, Indigenous people of color to enter the market, I think that does play like a really huge role in in you making a difference. And also, especially, you know, if someone on your team, for example, is hiring for a role and, you know, you, they ask you to share a job posting, I always, always, always suggest that people actually share the salary range of the role because that in itself, that transparency really helps people understand, you know, what the value is and it gives everyone equal access to understanding what the compensation will be for that role. I, I think that's something that uh, more people need to be doing, uh, myself included. Have you ever personally faced similar challenges in your career and how did you overcome those challenges? Yes, absolutely. I think lack of representation has been the biggest challenge that I have faced in my career. I strongly believe that to be successful in an industry, you kind of need to see people who look like you or people who remind you of yourself um, in places of success. I remember when we could go to in real life events and you know conferences and things like that, I would look around and it was just very evident that there were very few people who looked like me. And I mean that everywhere from attendees to speakers at events and things like that. And I internalized that and I kind of always wondered, do I belong here? Um, have I made a mistake by choosing this to be my industry of choice? So. That has definitely been a huge challenge that I've faced. And the way that I have overcome those challenges is finding my communities, you know, finding communities with other black marketers, making sure that I'm reaching out to them, networking with them and having them in my community so that, you know, we can connect and kind of overcome some of these potential identity issues together. Um, and then also something that I'm really passionate about is lifting while I climb. So. If someone comes to me, you know, they say, hey, I'm experiencing this or can you give me advice on this? I always make myself available to really kind of help them get that clarity and get them to where they need to be. Lifting while I climb. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, why is it so important that companies hire more diverse talent? Yeah, I think that teams need to be as diverse as the communities that they serve, because at the end of the day, you know, these diverse teams means diverse experiences and backgrounds, which will equal, you know, different perspectives. It'll help you solve problems better. It'll make you be better at making decisions. All around having that holistic perspective, I think, can add so much value to a company. And when you think of it, a lot of the times when companies put a marketing campaign, for example, out into the world that 
becomes controversial or misses the mark or is insensitive and there's like this immediate backlash and of course we know how the story goes companies have to take it down and maybe apologize a lot of the time it's because they didn't have those diverse perspectives at the table to speak up and say actually this is a bad idea and this is why so i think ultimately you know having more diverse talent will positively impact the bottom line and just give you like a holistic perspective of what good looks like that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. And to dumb it down, it just sort of works as an idea that, you know, everybody comes from their own upbringing and culture and having more views into the end goal with more perspectives can just essentially achieve more. Is that is that sort of the right idea? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we all of our perspectives, they're all relative. They're based on our own individual experiences. So when you can bring all of those to a table, you can really create something beautiful. Definitely. Uh, So you're also a diversity and inclusion advisory board member for Strategy Magazine, a Canadian business magazine about marketing, advertising and media. Can you tell us about that role and what actions uh, the magazine is taking to promote inclusion and diversity? Yeah, so I joined the advisory board for Strategy Magazine about mid last year. And they have basically committed to holding themselves accountable to using their platforms to help drive lasting change. The initial focus is really on using the role of their publications to increase Black, Indigenous, people of color equity. So some things that we've done so far are sharing some really insightful articles, like similar to the stats I mentioned earlier, that really highlight the quantifiable metrics of the inequities and the lack of representation, for example, within the marketing, advertising, communication industry in Canada. And we're also working on some really exciting stuff in the future that I think will really continue to bring people and organizations together to help bring light to these issues and hopefully incite some long-term positive change. What are some of the uh, like difficulties that you have faced when trying to change the mindset of people in the industry regarding inclusion and diversity? Yeah, so... Having conversations about, you know, the lack of diversity, equity and inclusion strategy in a company can be really uncomfortable for people because it forces them to not only like recognize their privilege, but actively make changes within themselves. And of course, like I shared earlier, to become an an ally, you kind of need to call other people in or out during that process of recognizing that privilege and trying to make some changes. And when people have lived their entire lives not really realizing that they've benefited from that privilege, it can cause people to be defensive and become frustrated. So obviously having those types of conversations can definitely be challenging as we do try to you know, push the needle on some of these issues. Um, I will say that, though, that since you know, last June and the murder of George Floyd, there have obviously been a lot of talks about diversity, equity and inclusion at work. A lot of it has been authentic, which makes me really happy as, you know, someone who has been in the DEI space for many, many years. Um, I I feel like a lot of people kind of just started taking it seriously as of last year. Um, A lot of it, though, has also been performative. And I think that's a challenge because you can tell when a company is genuinely trying to make a difference. And you can also tell when a company is just trying to, you know, jump on a trend by posting a black square on Instagram or, you know, making a one-time donation. So I find just pushing through that and really hoping that people understand the value of this has been challenging. 
But I am very hopeful that <laughs> we are going to incite some long-term change, even if it's as a result of, you know, last year's discoveries. Yeah, it's definitely a great trend to have happening around the world. Um, I am absolutely on board. You know, it's it's about time, absolutely. And um, it's one of those things that, you know, we need to see more of for sure. Um, what are some steps that agencies and people in the industry can take to create more diverse and inclusive workplaces? I would say number one is, I would say opening up your talent pipeline is really important. If you typically hire people that you're familiar with or, you know, out of likeness or nepotism, it's important to recognize that and then broaden your search because realistically, there are so many talented people out there and you just have to look. Um, I find a lot of people, they're... I want to say excuse, honestly, a lot of the time for not hiring diverse talent is that they couldn't find them. But I've seen firsthand 100% they exist. They're on the internet. They're on the LinkedIn's. They're on the Twitter. You really just have to look. Secondly, I would say paying people for what they're worth is really important. As I mentioned earlier, um, making salary ranges public up front really helps to narrow that pay gap that Black, Indigenous, and people of color unfortunately, traditionally experience um, because they, not necessarily that they don't know their worth, but just because they're just traditionally offered lower wages in comparison to their white peers. And then my last thing I would say is have a budget for DEI work. From experience, I know that a lot of Black, Indigenous, and people of color often join ERGs, which is an acronym for employee resource groups. So think of like your diversity and inclusion committee, for example. But those are volunteer roles. And those people also have full-time jobs. And they're, quote unquote, working off of the side of their desks to try to move a culture and, you know, move these, uh, these goals, these diversity, equity, and inclusion goals, while also managing their full-time job. So I think it's really important so those people avoid burning out to have a budget for DEI work, you know, hire professionals, the people in those volunteer committees, they can absolutely support, but they should not be expected to fix a company because there's a lot of like emotional labor that goes into that type of work. And when you have a full time job, it's definitely hard to balance those speaking from experience. That I totally understand. And then, so what are some good examples that you have seen from companies in the industry that you think others should follow? Are there any sort of trends or techniques that you've seen uh, more successful than others? Um, and have you yourself sort of evolved your process of trying to, or areas that you would recommend or ways that you would recommend companies do this? Yeah, I don't know that I can confidently say that I've seen a company that is just doing everything right. And I'm reluctant to like name companies that I feel are doing everything right because while what they're doing external facing might look great and might look like, you know, they're, they're really leading the charge here. Um, when you speak to some of those Black, Indigenous, people of color employees internally, it's a different story. So I'm always reluctant to kind of highlight or spotlight any specific brand because I don't know what happens internally. I will say externally facing, I've really enjoyed uh, Ben and Jerry's content. Are you familiar with Ben and Jerry's marketing content? Yeah. And I love their ice cream too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They also have great ice cream, which I think just helps drive their bottom line. But anytime, you know, something happens that is inequitable against not only just black indigenous people of color, but looking at things from an intersectional lens. So, you know, if there's inequities against people's uh, sexual orientation, religion, um, immigration status, things like that, 
they are the first to call it out. They don't tiptoe around it. They're just very straight to the point. And they're like, we do not tolerate this. And I really, I really do enjoy that about them. So external facing, I love Ben and Jerry's work. Holistically, cannot confidently say that I love any company because I think that all companies still really do have a lot of work to do. But I have noticed a lot of companies are publicizing their demographic stats. So, you know, asking people like, you know, do you identify with being, you know, a black person, indigenous person, a purple, a person of color, um, you know, what is your sexual orientation, just to kind of understand where they sit within the within the organization in terms of stats, and seeing where they have those gaps and seeing where they need to pay attention to fill those gaps. That makes sense. And I love the uh, Ben and Jerry's how they, they don't necessarily make it or their whole thing is it's not a marketing exercise. You know, they are trying to dismantle uh, what exists already and try and make it more transparent for everybody. Exactly. And then it's just a bonus that they also make a good product. So people are more inclined to buy that product because they appreciate the fact that Ben and Jerry's consistently speaks out. Exactly. Uh, So what are your tips for young, black, indigenous people of color who are hoping to start a career in the industry or maybe taking their first steps now? What do you wish someone had said to you when you started out on your path too? I would say find your community, you know, join the groups, attend the events, maybe the virtual events right now, uh, grow your network. I think that this is really imperative to career growth. You really do need to find your people and find that representation. Because as I said earlier, personally, I feel like I really need to see to believe. I would also say find mentors and sponsors who you can trust, who can help guide you through your career, you know, recommend you for roles, recommend you for opportunities. And also share any mistakes that they've made in the past so that hopefully you don't make those same mistakes. I would also say trust your gut and prioritize your mental health. A lot of Black, Indigenous people of color and people from other intersections, they experience things that just don't sit right with them. You know, they don't have this sense of belonging. Their work is not an inclusive culture. I would say if you have the opportunity to, you know, rather than trying to like stick it out and wait for things to get better, I would recommend to keep it moving because nothing is worth your peace. Thank you so much, Danico, for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure to interview you and have you on our podcast. And to our listeners, if you want to learn more about Danica's work, you can check her out on her website at watchdanikawork.com and learn all about what she's done and what she does. Uh, It's a very great website and there's a lot to to know about Danica there. So yeah, thanks a lot, Danica. Really appreciated you being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Danica and Matt. This is such an important conversation and we really appreciate what we've learned from this interview. I actually really appreciate what we've learned from this whole conversation on this episode. It, it To me, it, it's mind opening and very, very important. And, and this is something we are committed to learning about and implementing within our own agency here at, at Onboard Digital. So thanks again. That was great. And now before we say goodbye, it's time for some digital etiquette. In Digital Etiquette, we discuss what is appropriate or inappropriate when interacting with others online. Today's a good one. I find this one and have found this one really interesting. When your friends post photos of their kids online, do you have to like those photos? And it's going to be relevant to people who know more people with kids, I guess. But for me, having gone through the world of kids now for 
21 years. Yeah, I never did that. I was never the one who's, oh, fuck, somebody's putting something up. I got to like, 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 like. I like more dog pictures than I like kid pictures. Uh, I'm actually not a huge proponent of posting too many pictures of my kids or kids in general online just based on all the creepy factors that happen out there on the internet. But, you know, Daphna gave me this interesting statistic with regards to this, that 52% of moms notice when their friends don't like photos of their children. And that's from a survey from 2019 from Refinery29. And, you know, I get that. I, I'm surprised, Daphna, that it's not higher than that, actually. Yeah. So what do you guys do? Do you do you like everything that you see when people post cute pictures of their kids? Not always, but um, I mean, I think maybe because I grew up of the generation before the likes in social media that I don't see such an importance to uh, liking a picture or commenting on a picture. If it's there, it's there kind of thing. You know, and if it's super cute, I mean, gents, you post stuff of your godsons and, and your your niece. And I mean, if there's a super cute kid and those kids are super cute, don't get me wrong. I'm going to I'm going to be more likely to heart it or like it on Instagram than to like it on Facebook. But are you supporting the picture? Are you saying that it's cute? Are you making that kid more popular? What are you doing by giving it the like? It's interesting. I think it also depends on how close of a friend it is that is posting the pictures. I feel like I'm liking yeah. and commenting more of, yeah. you know, on pictures um, of my when my close friends uh, post pictures of their kids online. And, you know, for me, it's just another way of staying in touch with them, connecting with them, uh, supporting them. You know, uh, pa- parenthood is hard. <laughs> so it is. It is. Yeah, I feel like. You know, if it's a close friend, um, you're going to do it to support them. I get that. Yeah. Do you think the 52% of moms that notice what percentage of those moms get pissed off when you don't? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say a hundred, a hundred percent of the 52%. Yeah. I try to make a statement with my likes sometimes. And, you know, when someone starts posting their kids again and again and again and again, you might get the first like, but if you're, if you're bombarding me with the same kind of content over and over again, I don't like it. You know, <laughs> I don't want to see that. So I'm not going to support that content with my like uh same with like puppies and it's the same kind of thing where it's just like if you're if you're showing me more than i want to know i i'm gonna i'm gonna disengage literally there's definitely something about that matt i think you're right that there's people who just need it i mean we've all seen crazy things on on the internet and facebook on social but i really don't want it to be about kids you want to see that as a safe kind of haven so my my daughter probably had more pictures in the first day of her life than i had in the first 10 years of my life I, I can't even find any pictures under the age of 10 that my mother, my parents took. in the. It day, was different like. back then, though, Sean, because, you know, you, it was camera taking pictures was a different thing. You had to have film chisels. We use stone and chisel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to go back to the original question. So if we think like of our friends and our close friends. So should we like those posts like at least occasionally or like not at all. I mean, I'm not saying do it all the time. Definitely to your point, I think that it depends on the person, right? Like, you know, do you feel the need to support your friends, like you said, and, and, you know, make sure you like something here and there because it means something to them if they're posting it, then yeah, you do that because you're a good friend. Uh, I think it's different for everybody. I know people who have social media, don't post anything, don't like anything. They just use it to look at things, right? They're kind of invisible ghosts on there, but uh, to each their own. Um, 
Great. Good stuff, guys. So I think we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening to this episode of Please See Attached. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, you can email us at psa at getonboard.ca. You can also follow us on social to get an update on when our next episode airs. Our Facebook is Please See Attached and our Instagram is at please.see.attached. That's it for the episode. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you like the episode, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. See you on the next episode of Please See Attached. Bye-bye.